0: Good morning on this 24th day of March, 2022. And every time we say good morning, um, I I hear it a couple of different ways. And I'm always provoked to ask what makes anything good and what makes this particular morning good. And then when I hear the word morning, um, I hear two different words, right? I hear the time of the day that we consider the sun to rise and things to get underway. But I also hear the word mourning as it relates to grief, um, the mourning that happens um, at those points in time and seasons in life when we grieve. And so I want to talk about um, a couple of things here at the outset. Uh, as we say good morning to one another, yesterday's conversation about Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness got me thinking about other good morning verses. Uh, One way to think about good morning is to consider uh, good grief, what makes our grief bearable, endurable, um, Psalm 23 kind of good grief. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Um, the Good Shepherd makes good morning, good grief possible other good morning verses, though, just in terms of getting our day started. How about this one from psalm one forty three eight Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, O Lord, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go to you. I entrust my life I mean that's a good that's a good verse for any morning. How about psalm five three in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice in the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Do I wait expectantly before the Lord every morning? That's a good question. It's one thing for me to make my voice heard, right? And uh, make my appeals and requests known to God. It's another thing to wait expectantly. How about um, Psalm 90 verse 14? Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Singing for joy in the morning, um, morning songs, morning by morning, um, His mercies are new, uh, got me uh, also, you know, singing. And so I have a favorite morning song, um, In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. What are maybe your favorite songs for the morning that get you going? And where are you in the word today? You know, you can always text me, 877 2484 And for those of you uh, whose day begins before the sun rises, I offer uh, you um, this verse of encouragement, Psalm 119, 147. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words, O Lord. I've got uh, one little news item here before we jump to our conversation with our friend Ben Johnson. Madeleine Albright, the first female Secretary of State of the United States, died yesterday. Madeleine Albright was 84 years old. She was an extraordinary woman. Um, She spoke more than a half a dozen languages fluently. She was an incredible diplomat. She lived an extraordinary life. Um, And I think that the question that as Christians... We want to raise is okay. We have all these wonderful things to say about her life. What do we know? What do we know about her faith and her relationship with God? So, Malin Albright's actually somebody who wrote a lot about the impact of faith and religion um, on diplomacy, on the way that the world actually works. She had a really clear understanding about the powerful role that religion plays in the lives of people around the world. She understood the power of religion to motivate genuine good and unspeakable evil. Um, and it wasn't until she was fifty nine years old. Let me just think, think about this for just a moment. It wasn't until she was fifty nine years old that Madeleine Albright learned that both of her parents were born and raised in Jewish families in Czechoslovakia. She she learned at that time that a dozen of her relatives in um, in Czechoslovakia, including three of her four grandparents, had been murdered in the Holocaust. At fifty nine years old, I want you to think about that for just a moment. Her parents had kept their Jewish heritage secret. They converted to Catholicism before fleeing the Nazis and immigrated from Czechoslovakia with Madeline and her two siblings. Um, Madeline joined the Episcopal Church when she got married in 1959. She regarded um, her Jewish heritage as a, uh, you know, as a major surprise. Um, and it's, a, it's an interesting conversation to have um, about the heritage of faith, the living of faith. And then the dying in faith, which is then, you know, of course, the ultimate question. All right, Ben Johnson is waiting in the wings. He's a media reporter from the Daily Wire. We're going to talk about developments across the country, not only um, in terms of abortion law, but also what's uh, what's happening in the Twitter Twitter sphere. Yep, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You can have all this world. Just
1: keep-
2: Is my right a right given by God to live a free life to live in freedom.
0: Ben Johnson is back. You can find him at dailywire.com. Uh, he writes at The Rights Writer. Ben, welcome back, man. Good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Okay, so in California, we have um, abortion legislation that could open the door to infanticide. I mean, I just it's hard to imagine that we are here at this point in our cultural conversation. Tell us what's going on.
2: Well, this is a a terrible, terrible and concerning bill introduced in the state of California by uh, an assembly member named uh, Buffy Wicks. And uh, the the gist of the bill is that uh, it It believes uh, very strongly that um, um, there there should be no investigation if there is any kind of of death of a young child. And that's whether it's during uh, a woman's pregnancy or after a woman's pregnancy. The exact wording, it's uh, AB 2223 in the health and safety code portion. It reads, quote, a person shall not be subject to civil or criminal liability or penalty or otherwise deprived of their rights based on their actions or omissions with respect to their pregnancy and actual, potential, or alleged pregnancy outcome, including miscarriage, stillbirth, or abortion, or perinatal death. Now, it's that last word that's concerning. Perinatal, uh, of course, uh, from, from, the, uh, from the Greek, natal, uh, where we get our word nativity, as in the birth of Christ. Peri, as in perimeter, meaning the time around so it's not just the time of, of birth, but it's the time around birth. Now, it's not clear how long after birth that would be. So if a child dies after birth, there would be no investigation into the matter, no matter what the circumstances were. If a child died of a gunshot wound, there would be no investigation into the circumstances of how that child came up dead. Uh, this this is illegalized infanticide uh, by any any means of uh, the uh, that you could consider, this is this is legalized infanticide in the in the sense that they are saying there will be no investigation into any newborn's death. Unfortunately, uh, this this is not uh, out of step with uh, this particular assembly member, uh, Buffy Wicks is an assembly member from Oakland. Uh, if if you want more on her life, I actually wrote um, probably the most thorough series on her. Uh, it's available at therightswriter.com, it's on the, the main page, but uh, she is one of the most radical members uh, of any assembly anywhere, as this bill would would reflect. And I think it's, it's something that pro-life people have been saying for a very long time. If you downgrade the value of life in the womb, if you don't believe that uh, life begins at conception, or if, like our proposed member of the Supreme Court, you say that you don't know when life begins then you can't defend the rights of that person. And the entire idea of human rights becomes a hazy concept where you don't know when the law should intervene to protect the rights of the child. This is something that uh, I believe was Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana asked uh, Ketanji Jackson Brown just the other day. At what point does the law begin to protect someone? And she said, I don't know. And if you don't know, you don't know if it begins at the moment of conception, when life begins, according to all scientific data, or if it's several days after birth, or if it's year after, years after birth. Uh, of course, there, there are so-called bioethicists like Peter Singer who believe that uh, you should be able to kill a child uh, up to two years after the child's birth. So this is not a new idea. It's simply the, the logical outcome of our inability or our refusal to grant rights when they begin because it violates our convenience.
0: So, Buffy Wicks, for people who don't know, um, yeah, you can read all about her at Ben's website, therightswriter.com. Um, and she has a long history on the left, um, and she is, I would say, well-resourced and very well-connected. One of the things, Ben, that I um, I find, I don't know, I, I, I should Stop being surprised, but that I find surprising about this particular individual. The the thing that I knew about her when I saw her name in this headline, the thing that popped into my mind was that a couple of years ago, she showed up um, to a late night meeting on the floor um, of the assembly carrying her one-month-old infant. Um, And that was like her viral moment. I mean, Buffy Wicks is going to be like known among the viral community um, because she... She you know, she showed up. Um, I can't really remember all the details, but I feel like it was a couple of years ago. I remember that she's wearing a mask in the pictures. So it's definitely, you know, COVID era. Um, but she had a one month old baby that she you know had swaddled um, to her while she's standing at the microphone.
2: And, that's exactly and, right. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. Um, um, and by the way, Buffy is her real name. <laughs> it's, it's her given name. But um, uh, yeah, she she showed up. That's a, on That's the- a
0: baby that doesn't survive this legislation.
2: No, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's a matter of choice. Uh, it, it's a yeah. matter of choice whether a newborn has a life or not, mm-hmm. and uh, that should never be the case. Our our rights are given to us by God. They cannot be taken away by government. Governments are instituted among men. According to the classical idea of government, the entire point of government is to protect our rights against any and all aggressors. Uh, the government protects us against foreign aggressors, but it also protects us against Anyone who would violate uh, on the purpose of aggression uh, against our natural rights without due process of law, whether that's that person is uh, a violent criminal or a criminal gang or whether that person is someone who is closest to us uh, who would violate our rights uh, in in the case of uh, someone who is an intimate partner who is beating us or even if that person is uh, our own parent. And who has been carried away in a moment of despair or anxiety or through propaganda doesn't believe that this life has already begun, but that life is precious from the moment of conception It's a unique individual endowed with all of uh, the abilities and all of the powers that person will have uh, and and all of the potential for life to impact the world for better so it's it's up to us to defend it by the way one one small detail on Buffy and and that article that I wrote, I think is 10 years old, uh, so there, there, it's long before she joined the Assembly, uh, she had a long history before that. But um, one of the most recent uh, things, if I ever update, is that uh, just last month, Buffy Wicks introduced the first bill in the, in the entire country that would require every business to mandate the adoption of the COVID-19 vaccine. So on the one hand, she's, she's saying you can kill someone up to an undisclosed number of days after the child's born and there will be no investigation on the other hand everyone has to adopt a vaccine you have no uh, you know biological determination over whether you are vaccinated or not if you work anywhere regardless of your medical circumstances uh, there's no autonomy in the one case and in the other case really it 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 does line up there is no autonomy over your own body someone can force you Either to be vaccinated, which which may be a positive thing for many people, or to be killed. So the the concern for life on the one hand, uh, expressed in in the idea that everyone should be vaccinated, and the complete and utter disregard for life on the other hand is such a glaring contradiction. It shows you a double minded person is unstable in all their ways.
1: Mm.
0: All right, we're talking with Ben Johnson. Um, you can find him at the Daily Wire. You can find what we've just been talking about, um, and more about. Buffy Wicks at his website, um, at the Rights Writer. So we're going to continue our conversation in just a moment, and we're going to talk about Twitter jail and how you get sent there. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, there's a thing called Twitter jail, and you can get sent there if you um, say that a person who is biologically male is male or a person who is biologically female is female if they um, say they are otherwise. So, um, Ben Johnson, what is happening? Um, who got sent to
2: Twitter jail? It seems like just about everybody got sent to Twitter I, jail here I <laughs> recently. I been... have
0: I haven't been sent to Twitter jail yet, but I feel like it's just a matter of time.
2: Yes. Uh, this, this sort of constantly revolving reality, uh, kaleidoscopically changing reality, uh, where there's no stability, where uh, whatever it is that someone says, uh, if, if they say one day that they are one gender and another day they're another gender, then the kaleidoscope turns and reality has changed because they said so. And now everyone is forced to go along with what we know is a falsehood. Uh, that's what happened with Leah Thomas, of course, the uh, "quote-unquote" female swimmer, uh, supposedly the fastest female swimmer in the world, who, of course, was born and went through, uh, went through puberty and uh, even competed in college as a male swimmer, uh, fairly, re- I should say, a relatively mediocre male swimmer, and is now, um, after uh, only one year of of transition, uh, is now breaking records against females. Uh, of course, if someone is male, then you have larger hands, larger lung capacity um a larger amount of muscle fiber uh all you have to do is look at the
0: all you do is look at the picture of the podium i mean that is a physically very different person than the women who are standing on the podium who lost
2: absolutely uh, I mean, uh, and, uh, yeah. and and one of those people, Emma Wyatt, uh, has has been uh, proclaimed, thankfully, by uh, Governor Ron DeSantis as the fastest female swimmer in the world, but came in significantly behind Leah Thomas. So several people uh, went on Twitter, including uh, Charlie Kirk and Tucker Carlson, and the Babylon Bee uh, was one of those who got uh, got. Uh, it, it was uh, one of the uh, the editor in chief, uh, Kyle Mann, who had their uh, account suspended over transgender issues, several of them about Leah Thomas. The Babylon Bee posted an article about uh, the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services, Rachel Levine, but uh, all of those who's of course, a biological man from the state of Pennsylvania and has uh, become transgender. So all of them, uh, at one point or another, said, these people are men. That's it. That's all they said. Men are men. Women are women. And they've been banished from Twitter for upholding what uh, in any other time would be acknowledged as an unchangeable, immutable fact.
0: Okay, in in something that you tweeted and I picked up on and didn't know about, Herschel Walker, who, you know, is a pretty good fitness dude, um, has apparently been uh, asked to resign from the president's Council on sports, fitness and nutrition because, after all, he's now a Republican candidate.
2: That's right. Uh, And this is this is something that's ongoing with um, with President Biden, which sort of breaks the norms quite candidly. Uh, You have Herschel Walker and Dr. Oz, uh, you know, both of whom are are candidates for U.S. Senate on the Republican side. They were appointed to uh, President's uh, Council on Health and Fitness. We might remember, for example, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a member several years ago. Uh, these, you know, uh, Doc Oz is a doctor. Herschel Walker, as you say, is a quite fit individual. I wish it's I a had good a fit runner. his fitness. It's
0: a good, yeah, I know. I know. It's an awesome yeah. specimen. I know that's really all I have to say about him. OK, so but here's the here's the political side of this, right? It's like a it's as if the president imagines that he needs to sanitize all of his uh, little councils of anyone who is Republican. I mean, that's ridiculous.
2: And and it's been ongoing. Um, you know, President Trump appointed several people, uh, you know, as as any president does. But uh, you appoint thousands of people in the last year of his uh, of his administration, or uh, near the end of his administration. He appointed people whose terms overlap with that of his his successor. He thought it would be his second term. It turns out it's the first term of Joe Biden. And it it makes no difference. People who are appointed serve for a a period of time, and they may serve under multiple presidents, which is what uh, was intended uh, after the shooting of James Garfield, that you would have uh, an administrative state that continues regardless of who the president is. Uh, There are pros and cons to that, but that's how it was always set up. Those are the quote-unquote norms that we have lived under for more than 100 years since the 1880s. Since that has taken place... Joe Biden in multiple cases, not just with Walker and Oz, but with several people has re- has required or demanded that they resign or they will be fired in several cases they have been fired, which is a breaking of the law. It's it's a major scandal that has gotten very little oxygen uh, on anywhere except um, certain conservative websites, including the Daily Wire, but uh, a few others have, have talked about this. If someone is appointed, the law says they should serve out their full term and there is absolutely no reason to pressure them. Uh, this is a stacking of the administrative state. And it gives a lot of real oxygen to people who say that there is something like a, a a deep state, quote unquote, a consensus among people who serve in the administrative staff that they will do someone's political bidding or they won't be able to serve there.
1: Mm.
0: All right, Ben as always so much to talk about so little time we so appreciate you thank you so much you guys can find what Ben is working on today at dailywire.com um, and you can always read um, what he's writing and um, and I just think that the buffy uh, the buffy Wick stuff that you've got up um, on uh, on your rights writer um, is just awesome so the the dot Uh, just search there for Buffy Wicks and you'll get the whole background story on this California Assemblywoman. Uh, Ben, as always, thanks so much.
2: Thank you. God bless.
0: Likewise. We'll be right back. Our Father is on the throne. Um, when, we, when we think about the way we pray, our Father who art in heaven, when we think about the way we are the family of faith uh, around the world, when we think about the intimacy to which we are connected, when we think about Jesus' um, answer to those who say, hey, your mom and your brothers, they're at the door, and Jesus looks around and says, these are my mother and my brothers, those who do the will of the Father in heaven. I want you to just consider for a moment the family of faith. I want you to consider your own adoption into the family of faith through Jesus Christ, um, our Savior and our Lord. He is our older brother in, in this way. We are heirs to the kingdom of heaven because of him. We are adopted into the family of faith. We are engrafted um, into the promises made uh, by God, to first to the Jews, his chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. Um, we are the people of God. We are the family of faith through adoption. Now, I want you to just consider for just a moment that 5.2 million children around the world lost a primary or secondary caregiver to COVID-19. As the rest of us are returning to quote-unquote normal, these kids uh, have no normal to which they can return. And so we're going to have a conversation with Jed Metafend from the Christian Alliance for Orphans, about the status of children around the world orphaned by COVID and how the church can respond. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Jed Medifind, uh heads up the Christian Alliance for Orphans. He has joined us on prior occasions. Jed, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
1: Good morning.
0: Good morning. Good morning. Talk talk with us. I mean, we want to check in with you in terms of specifically um, this, this crisis in Ukraine and what's happening with children crossing the border. But I really want to focus with you on the crisis related to uh, children and covid so can we um can we start there?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, Carmen. You know, what what we see in really in any crisis, and that goes for Ukraine or COVID or anything else, is that it is very often children that bear some of the hardest impact of that crisis, even with something like COVID that as we know had very little direct impact on children. You know, the the virus itself had very limited impact on most children, and yet indirectly it had a profound impact upon them. One of the ways we see that is what are sometimes referred to as COVID orphans, children who've lost a parent or primary caregiver as a result of COVID. That number right now globally is estimated to be more than 5 million children.
0: Mm. So let's talk about that. I mean, let's talk about 5 million children who just a couple of years ago were in relatively stable situations um, who now are not. Um, I mean, I, I just there's so many challenges that children face um, and to add this to, um, you know, as another additional layer, I guess I'm wondering how organizations um, like uh, like the Christian Alliance for Orphans, but others as well, like how how are organizations responding? How have you guys pivoted in terms of the, the COVID orphans?
1: Yeah, well, you know, Carmen, in some ways, of course, this is nothing new. It, it, you know, the idea of children who have lost the protection and care that God intends parents to provide. That is as old as, as the Torah. It is as old as the Psalms. It is as old as the New Testament. Those books all speak to God's particular call to his people to be present for children that lack the protection of parents. And so in that sense, it's nothing new. Um, at the same time, you know, with COVID in particular, what we've seen is this dramatic surge all over the world of children who've who've lost that primary relationship. Um, in many cases, actually the majority of cases, interestingly, fathers were much more likely to die than mothers. And so um, of those COVID orphans, the percent that lost fathers was much higher than those who lost mothers. But in either case, you know, you're know, you losing either a uh, perhaps a breadwinner, a primary protector, the primary caregiver. In some cases, it may have been a grandparent that had been the primary caregiver. Maybe the parents had been out of the picture already. And now the child is facing life in the world without that care or protection that their parents had provided. And of course, that's where the church can play a primary role is stepping in and saying, okay, what are the things that that still do exist around this child? Maybe there's an aunt or an uncle, maybe there is a surviving mother or father and the church can wrap around that family support structure, care for that child through that family.
0: So I understand that um, along with, a number of other child welfare organizations. Um, You guys uh, at the Christian Alliance for Orphans um, are really trying to help people understand that family-based care, that as you have just described, identifying um, a surviving member of that child's family, um, that that just increases that child's um, chances of a positive future. Can you talk about the advantages of family-based care over maybe what we would traditionally think of as orphanages or other kinds of residential, um, institutional care?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, first of all, we can say, you know, when there is a situation where there are lots of children who, you know, due to some major crisis, whether it's war, uh, HIV in Africa, other situations, and there are lots of children who lack of uh, parental care, it's very natural to say how can we be efficient and provide some mass scale solution that's a very natural response and and there may be times in in very immediate urgent situations where you have to create some sort of you know group setting or or some something that that seems more efficient like that right but but in the long run what we know as Christians is that God designed the family as the very best place for a child to grow and of course we see this all throughout scripture Modern social science and psychology, they, they show us the same thing. They show that children who are growing up outside of a healthy family are far more likely to face virtually every evil known to man. So that includes, you know, psychological well-being. It includes physical size and health. All of those things we can actually literally measure are healthier, more vibrant, more strong, more positive when a child's growing up within a family. And so, you know, what we believe as the Christian Alliance for Orphans is, while there's sometimes are some or crisis situations that call for immediate other measures, what we always say is the very best place for a child is a family. And so we always want to be laser focused on working toward that end. And that's a long-term vision. But we also then bring that into the crisis and say, for instance, right now, when we're looking at Ukraine, and there's lots of children who have lost a parent or have lost a primary caregiver. We're not saying, "Hey, how can we just shelter them and house them for the long haul in some large warehouse?" We're saying, "How can we find a way for these children to be cared for within a family?" Ideally, with kin relatives, finding a surviving parent, and if that's not the case, then finding opportunities for them to grow up within a family, whether that's in a local adoptive family or in any other situation where they can know the love and belonging that every child needs to grow.
0: We're talking with Jed Medefend from the Christian Alliance for Orphans. You can find Jed and things that we're talking about today at CAFO, C-A-F-O dot O-R-G. Jed, um, I always think it's good and helpful to remind people about the theology of adoption. I mean, why we as Christians um, think the way we do about um, about families, about children And about the power of adopting children who need it. Um, I mean, children for whom um, returning to some member of their uh, of their biological family is not an option. Um, Talk about the theology of adoption.
1: Yes, well, you know that's. Thanks for asking about that. And you know what we see first of all in Scripture is that God prizes and prioritizes family. Right that that He He created the family as the ideal place for children to grow. And in in Psalms, it talks about that God himself, it says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. He sets the lonely in families. And so whenever there is an individual who is outside of that healthy, whole relationship of family, it's God's good purpose that they be drawn into that, that sense of belonging and permanency. And even though we know every earthly family is imperfect, we, we also know that there is something that just cannot be replicated by any other entity or institution than the belonging of family. And so we see that on, a, on an earthly level. We desire that for people, for, for children, for everyone. But then, of course, Scripture talks about this idea that we, just like children around the world who are apart from family, who have lost their family, that we are living in a state of of what the bible would describe as orphanhood that we are separated from god by by sin by evil by the brokenness of this world and throughout scripture this idea that god desires to welcome us into his family is very central it describes that, that, you know, that he has adopted us, that he has given us his family name, that he has given us not just an identity, but even full inheritance rights, which, you know, in some ways seems kind of strange or mercenary, but particularly in many parts of the world where when a child is brought into a home, maybe they're, they're cared for, but they're often seen as, as household help. They're second-class citizens. There's the children, and then there's the kids that have been brought in. And what the Bible describes is that when we are brought into God's family— we have full identity and full inheritance rights. We are all in. And it is such a beautiful picture, of course, that in this world, in the, in the physical side of things, when there is a child who has lost their parents and there truly is no hope of returning to a biological family, that God invites his, his people to be a part of that, of mirroring the love of their Heavenly Father by welcoming children into their own families through the mystery and beauty of adoption.
0: We're talking with Jed Metafend from CAFO. It's the Christian Alliance for Orphans. You can find it at CAFO.org. We're going to take a very brief pause. When we come back, I'm going to ask Jed specifically about what's going on with um, with orphans and unattended children and children who are just showing up at the borders um, of Ukraine by themselves. So how is the world responding? How can you as a Christian respond? How can your church respond? respond, what can we do to support a bright future for children around the world? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Millions of people have fled Ukraine. Many, many mothers um, and grandmothers and aunties with children um, arriving at uh, international borders in need of everything. Um, the men having stayed behind to defend their country. Some women staying behind as well to support the war effort have put children on, on uh, buses and trains and sent them unattended across the border. Um, some of them reunited with members of family, others of them in need of shelter and care and everything else. Uh, Jed Medefind is here. He uh, serves with the Christian Alliance for Orphans as a part of a network of child welfare organizations around the world responding to this crisis. Jed, I know you've got a number of partner ministries um, on the ground, not only in Ukraine, but in, in nations adjacent to Ukraine. Talk with us about what you're hearing and, and what's happening.
1: Yes, Carmen. Well, you know, as, as, of course, I think the whole world is is watching, We're we're seeing... In, on one hand, just the 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 reality of humanity at its most broken you know we 're seeing shells rip through hospitals and schools we 're seeing tanks crush vehicles with their their drivers still in them and and it just it it it, it rips our hearts at the same moment we 're also seeing glimpses of god 's grace and beauty and, and goodness shine in that dark place and i I know through many of the organizations and ministries that are serving both within Ukraine, and in the surrounding countries, we, we are seeing such beautiful glimpses of that, and and even just on the interpersonal level. You know, I just I just heard Carmen a, a story last week of of a group of children that had been in orphanages uh, in Ukraine. They were being transported out, and there was just you know, of course, immense complexity of getting vehicles, the vehicles getting them to the border. The border the border would not let the vehicles out, so the children had to transfer to other vehicles as they were heading. Uh, further and then into Poland, and they had not been able to bring any food with them. And so over more than 24 hours, these children were extremely hungry and uh, and the, the buses stopped at a, at a restaurant to try to get a little bit of food and, and uh, some other items that they really needed. And when the workers at this restaurant heard about this, they all just began to bring food out, out of the restaurant, giving it to them at no cost, some of them went home to their own homes and started getting supplies, coats and jackets, and toilet paper, and just all these things. And and you just, alongside the twistedness and brokenness of the world, you also see grace and and beauty. And these things are just flowing together constantly there in Ukraine and, and in the countries around it.
0: So when you um when you think about this in terms of global development of uh, the conversation about children in crisis, children in need families that are desperate for help um i mean i it's fair to say i've never seen anything like this but you've seen more than i've seen and have paid attention to this uh, have you or your member organizations like ever seen anything like this and and if so you know can you give us some of those parallel situations
1: mm. well you know every every situation every individual human story right is its own unique tragedy um, and, and certainly, we, we can look at historical parallels. I mean, I think there's even you know, parallels to World War I, and there's parallels to the lead up to World War Two. And so I think there's, there's certainly historical moments where we've, we've seen profound brokenness on, on this scale, perhaps even bigger. But, but in terms of this tragedy right now, I, I think it is, it is new for anyone who has lived uh, you know, over the last 30, 40 years in the West and just kind of assumed that we were past these things, right, and these you know I, I have spent a, a fair amount of time in Ukraine, and it is so uh, gripping to see roads that you have driven on and schools that you 've been in ripped apart, and you you always kind of imagine it 's going to be in some far off place and and then you realize no this this capacity for evil and the profound brokenness of, of humanity this is Around every one of us, this is in every one of us in some degree and and yet, at the same time, there is such potential for god 's people to bring healing in it and i 'll tell you, Carmen, alongside that hurt and the anguish, um, there are so many organizations, many of them of course, that I get to interact with every day through the Christian Alliance for orphans that are that are there that are that are bringing food and immediate relief that are on the borders, receiving children, seeking to reunify children with family or relatives. Uh, seeking those things out. If there's, n- if that's not possible in the immediate term, finding healthy, safe places for these children to be for the foreseeable future, and then planning a course to seek out those families and reunite. And and so again, you you just see this juxtaposition of the world at its most broken, and yet the grace and goodness of God through His people.
0: Can we um, pivot uh, here back towards home because there may be folks listening right now who are saying, you know what, if. Um, if there were a kid um, that needed this in my own community, in my own state, um, I, I think I would want to do something. Talk a little bit about kids aging out of the system, um, the need for the family of faith to become forever families for kids here in the United
1: States. Mm, thanks for asking about that, Carmen. Yes, you know because I think all of us, as we see what's happening in Ukraine, something pricks our hearts, right? And we just feel angry and we feel anguish and we want to do something. And I, I think that's a God-given response. It is. It is. I think mirroring that the Spirit of God Himself, who looks at that brokenness and He's He feels angered by by evil and the way people hurt each other, and he longs to bring response and help. And and we can do that in Ukraine and surrounding countries by giving financially and by praying, by supporting good work there. But we can also take that, that, that feeling that's been woken in us and live it out right in our own neighborhoods. Because this very moment, even as we watch the TV about what's happened in Ukraine, there are kids growing up apart from safe healthy family here in the United States in the U.S. foster system. And for some, they just need a temporary home through foster care with hope that their biological family can be reunited. And that's something we could support and be a part of and help with. And there's other kids who are what are known as waiting children. They need new families through adoption. And and as you alluded to, Carmen, some of those kids every year, somewhere around 20,000 of them age out into adulthood without any prospect of a permanent family, no no place to, to call when they're, you know, when they're going through a crisis, no place to go home to for Christmas or or for Thanksgiving, and and the church can be that for these kids. We can step into their lives, whether that's through adoption, or becoming a mentor, or just a permanent relationship that is the place where they can go home for Christmas and holidays and call when they're going through a crisis. This is such a wonderful way that every one of us can respond to these feelings we're having when we see the crises around the globe.
0: Judd, as always, um, thank you so much. It's it's so important um, not only that we understand who we are as the adopted children of God, um, but extending that grace and mercy to those in need of tangible family, like real family. Um, and so, thank you for what you do um, at the Christian Alliance for Orphans. Thank you so much for bringing us the stories today, and hopefully, inspiring us to consider how we might respond either to the this challenge um, of children in, in Ukraine and now on the in the nation's perimetering on the perimeter of Ukraine, but then also just the orphan crisis around the world. So many children in need of so much today. How will you help? How is God pricking your conscience today to live a little more simply that one of these might simply live? Jed, uh, thank you as always so much for joining us on Mornings with Carmen.
1: Thank you for the opportunity, Carmen.
0: Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. When
1: we rise, we will rise together.
0: Together. Have I told you lately that I love you? Uh, have I told you lately that God loves you? That's way more important, actually. Way more important. Um, do you know that? Do you receive that? Do you live in that reality? God loves you. God loves you. Delights his heart to hear your voice. So don't you just imagine for a moment um, that your phone rings and um, you, you pick it up and you answer it because, you know, I, you have to think back to the days when we couldn't look down at the screen and see who it was and decide whether or not we were going to answer it. You just answered it, right? You just answered the phone because it rang. And you were curious to know who was there. And then you were delighted to hear the sound of someone's voice. And I want you to imagine that that voice is the voice of your child. It would be immediately recognizable, right? I mean, it's not like you don't know what your children sound like or what your mother sounds like um, if you're a person who doesn't have children. like right. So, so I want you to just think about that for just a moment. How delighted you are to hear the sound of the voice of someone you love. And now I want you to recognize that that's the way God feels when you call out to him. When you cry out to God, when you call out to God, when you pray, when you turn intentionally to him and acknowledge his presence and thank him for his grace, when like a little child you run to him and are received, God is delighted. He's delighted. God loves you. I don't know about you, but I mean, that's enough. Uh, That's enough. It's enough. It's enough for the day. It's enough for the living of these days. It's enough, uh, to, to face the reality before us. No matter uh, what's going on, if I know that in the midst of it, God loves me, God's got me, God's going to see me all the way home. He's going to carry me when necessary, that he has provided for me, um, a fellowship, a family of faith, a body of believers to sustain me in the midst? God loves you. God loves you so much. He sent his only son that you would not have to die the death you deserve to die, nor endure the punishment you could never endure for the reality of sin and sinfulness. And he gave it all as a, as a gracious gift. God loves you God loves you Do you love him Don't let God's love be Thanks for listening to this today. podcast this morning telling Carmen bird from Faith Radio If you haven't you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app That way you never miss an episode It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com